would you crackers like to hear about the time we saw the Loch Ness Monster? Nah, that's okay. Oh, must have been about seven, eight years ago. Me and the little lady was out on this boat, you see, all alone at night. When all of a sudden this huge creature, this giant crustacean from the Paleolithic era, comes out of the water. We were so scared, Lord, I remember I jumped up in the boat and I said, Thomas, what on earth is that creature? It stood above it looking down with these big red eyes. Oh, it was so scary. And I yelled, I said, what do you want from us, monster? And the monster bent down and said, I need about three fifty. What's Tree Fitty? Three dollars and fifty cents. Tree Fitty? He wanted money? That's right. I said, I ain't giving you no Tree Fitty, you goddamn Loch Ness Monster. Get your own goddamn money. I gave him a dollar. She gives him a dollar. I thought he'd go away if I gave him a dollar. Well, of course he's not going to go away, Nelly. You give him a dollar, he's going to assume you got more. Hey, everybody, what's going on? Welcome back, blah, 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 blah. This Just may blah 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 everybody. <laughs> blah 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 through it. Well, yeah. we've got our guest waiting from the UK and he's four or five hours ahead of us. And we're speaking with Annie McGrath tonight, who wrote the book Um Beasts of Britain. And mm-hmm. it's basically um it's a book all about British cryptozoological uh stuff. Bigfoot, Loch Ness Monster, all the crazy ring weird Dog man, werewolves, fairies. Batman. There is a Batman in this book. (laughs) So um, I ran into him a while ago on Twitter. He was doing a documentary called Beasts of Britain, and I was pretty intrigued by what he'd done. I heard a few interviews with him, so I reached out and contacted him. He says, well, yeah, I've actually got a book coming out, so let me keep you on hold until the book comes out. And then it was ready to go, and he sent us a promo copy of it, and we've been reading through it. And uh, he's a really cool guy. But uh, having said all that, we're going to go into all this at the end of the show. But this may possibly be the last episode of this year, other than the bonus holiday show that we've put together for everybody. Christmas so, time. Uh, yeah, Christmas, Kwanzaa, Hanukkah, um, whatever. Turnip day. Turnip day, whatever the subgeniuses celebrate, you know, whatever, whatever. Nothing. Your thing is that you celebrate over the holidays. That's what the show was going to be for. So, which started out to be a couple of call-ins of people telling us their experiences, which very quickly turned into like, wow, this might actually have to be a two-part show. But we're going to go into that after we get done with this interview because I don't want to keep this person waiting too much longer. So, nice. And um, I think that's it. So we're going to jump into this interview, and as always, we'll see you guys at the other side. Whee! Okay, so with us tonight is Andy McGrath, and he has written a book called Beasts of Britain. And I believe that you also did a uh, a television show or a YouTube series along those lines too, Andy, you know? No, I, I didn't do it on that line, but I am doing documentary. That's what it was. Uh, yeah, I did this too. So this cryptozoologist, um, that's with Matt Ralston, Brett Abrams, Ron Coleman, uh, Blackburn, Adam Davis, all those guys. And one, I'm kind of working on a little bit with a, a director here. We're kind of still trying to put the pitch together, actually, at the moment. But that would be Beasts of Britain. So what you have done, as the title implies, is you being from Britain, I believe you're from yes. Welsh, right? And you live in south of London now, is that it? I, I live in southwest London in Surrey, or just in a, a suburb of Surrey, which is um, it's very close to, um, to London. And I'm from Wales, from Cardiff in South Wales. So. How long did it take you to put this book together? Because you've got, you're kind of like, I don't see a whole lot of, of British cryptozoologists or European cryptozoologists. Like mm-hmm. we always hear in America about 
you know, people over here, you've mentioned some of them off the air, uh, Blackburn, mm. everybody, but mm. you don't hear a whole lot about people like that over on the other side of the pond doing it. I'm sure there are some, but us being Muricans, we tend to really care yeah. about Murican stuff. Muricans. <laughs> so, <laughs> so how like long that. did it take you to do this, and how did you get involved with all this? Well, I have been involved in it privately for 25, 26 years almost, and, you know, it's um, which shows that I'm old enough to like something that long. <laughs> um, yeah. I just got into like the Bigfoot in the paddy footage and Loch Ness Monster and the In Search of Program and Arthur C. Clarke's Mysterious um, World and, and the Ogopogo episodes and everything. And I loved Lake Monsters. That was my thing for a long time. I just loved reading about them. And, and actually, Britain has a lot of sightings of Lake Monsters um, uh, over see. the years. And even, you know, we've been on islands. So I guess there's a lot of opportunity to see a sea or like one say if there are such things and um so i started looking at stuff like well look, look let's look at Loch Ness you know everybody is focused on this body of water but there's all these other reports in the other lochs and other rivers and lakes and, and around the, the coasts of Britain and i started thinking well nobody's talking about this you know um they're all just hundreds of these guys camped out at Loch Ness, you know, with their cameras trained on the... I was going to ask you about that. Is there kind of like an unspoken thing with cryptozoologists? Like, is there like a residency where you have to do so much time at Loch Ness to be involved uh, with I, this stuff? <laughs> really. I mean, you could go there, but they're the guys, they're, they've got their guys who are entrenched and have been there for five decades, some of them. Now, I've talked to a lot of these guys, and, you know, there's names that you would know very well, like Adrian Scheind. You'd obviously know who he is, you know, the big bearded Loch Ness investigator yeah. since the 70s. Um, there's other guys like Dick Rayner, who's part of the uh, LNIB, the Loch Ness Investigation Bureau, since the, the late um, uh, 60s or 70s, late 70s, I think, or mid-70s. He's still there. He skippers the boat there, actually. He takes tourists around. And and there are other people like Tony Holmes, who think they've all been there for a long time. But oddly, they're all super skeptics. So if you go to Loch Ness Exhibition, which I think um, uh, Adrian Shine has a lot to do with, there's two Loch Ness Centres. There's a Nessie Land Centre, which is very touristy, but they give you some nice, we believe in Nessie kind of thing, uh, stuff. And then you have the Loch Ness Visitor Centre, which is the more scientific side. But you get the feeling that they're just trying to um, persuade you that it doesn't exist. And it's the same with Dick and Adrian and... Um, and Tony has a bus route there, I think, and they don't believe in it. And they tell you outright, I don't believe in it because the evidence doesn't point in that direction. That's fair enough. They're scientific guys. They want to be find repeatable evidence, which is fine. But my question to them is, if you are searching for a creature that you don't believe in and you've spent five decades doing it, why are you still there? Project's over, right? And it costs money too and time. You know, you've got – well. You know, after a certain yeah. point, you just kind of say, all right, I'm done with this. So is it part of the shtick to say, I don't believe in this, but here I am? I think they truly don't believe in it in an evangelical way. I respect their position, but I don't think it's actually scientific. And I think because if you've got allegedly 11,000 sightings in this body of water in 84 years, so many of them, and the ones I chose for my book, actually, you might have noticed there were a selection of 20 years, I think I, yeah. I put in there, Flockness sightings specifically ones that were very corroborative. There were others that really 
matched the, the descriptions I've put there, but I don't want to make it all about that. But, you know, the long neck, the humps, the flippers, the um, the land sightings, the plesiosaur-like description. So I'm one of the, you know, I'm one of the adherents to the plesiosaur belief. I believe it exists. I believe they're still in existence around the world because I don't only look at Loch Ness, I look at Champlain and um, Okanagan and Lake Lebinkia, and, and you put those sightings together, and it's always these similar kind of creatures, right? Um, I don't believe in long-necked seals, uh, long seals that attain 40 feet that we've never discovered, or giant sturgeon that can, you know, <laughs> poke their necks out of water, or, or anything like that. So I that's think not it's a um, thing. They're really poor, exactly. Not they're not things. So I always say to these guys, like uh, or people who believe like this, uh, you know, that it hasn't been proved that the fossil record doesn't show blah 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 blah. Um, first of all, I would say that the fossil record has already let a few significant animals slip through the net, right? Uh, on the patterns of the coelacanth mm-hmm. or um, the horseshoe crab or the, the crocodile. For goodness' sake, we've still got crocodiles, right? They're reptiles. They're cold-blooded. Why did they survive this imaginary meteor that hit the earth, wiped everything out apart from the mammals? Doesn't make sense. So I think this is a, this is an idea of how life came to be and how the fossil record should look at the moment that we've got fixed in our minds. But what we don't really take into consideration is, you know, this is still just what we know so far, or what we think we know. Much of it is quite um speculative the fossil record itself is it's put together through correlation so um i don't know if you know about this but you know you can't find the record as it appears in any one place anyone any one strata anywhere in the world mm-hmm. they take you know one fossil from that layer in argentina and one fossil from that layer in you know in britain and one from russia and they say well it's all the same time frame you say well how do you know that well because it's got um an old fossil, and then you say, okay, that's fair enough, that makes sense. How do you know that's an old fossil? It's because it's in an old rock layer. <laughs> <laughs> and when I first found out about this, I mean, that's really oversimplified, right? But that's the basis of, um, the, they admit themselves, you know, it's a mental abstraction. It's just how life should have um, um, carried on in the world during all of these years if what we believe is true about the order. And so it's preferential. They put it together preferentially. And then they say, you can't have a living plesiosaur because it's not in the fossil record. And it, to me, I mean, I'm not getting into those arguments about evolution or creation or whatever the big two camps are. I don't really care about that. And I more, care more about finding these animals. And that, to me, is an exclusion. I want to get out of the way and say, you can't use it as an exclusion because it's a mental abstraction. You can't prove that they don't exist according to this chart well let me ask you it's this. just an idea you've got you talk a lot about nessian here but you also talk a lot about you you've got the tamson river monster you've got the orms yeah. you know uh Bo nessie is another one how many yes. different like lake monster or ocean monsters do you have over there because it seems like it's a lot whereas in america i think we've what we've how many do we think we, we, we got like, like three oh, of a bunch them? of them yeah no, but not a bunch of them well, there's Champ, there's Ogopogo, yeah. there's, uh, there's, oh crap, there's one that's in, uh, there's one in Florida, there's supposed to be one in 
the Hudson oh, the River. Yeah. Mahaha, is that one of them? Yep. Um, I saw some footage of that recently that was quite reasonable. Or oh, somebody said it could have been a manatee. It's sort of a big that uh, thing wasn't moving like a flipper. manatee. Sorry. You seen that? You saw, you saw yes. that too. Yeah, yeah it was it's not And also like the flipper a... was huge. Yeah. Um, I, I like that footage a lot. I, is it from 2010 or something like that? It's from a while back. Yeah. 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 Um, now, as to how many we have, we have a lot of reports going back years and years, and lots of recent ones. In the book, I actually chose to list a lot of recent ones because I thought, historically speaking, you know, we always look back on people in history and say, well, they were simple, they were superstitious, they were idealistic, and this is why they see ghosts and monsters and sea beasties, right? So um, there were many. So Thames in the River Thames monster, when you, you mentioned, was one I was actually involved in searching for. There were three filmed sightings in 2016 between March and April. Mm-hmm. Um, between the first and second sighting, I was actually out on the water looking for it in the area in which it had been seen. Which was um, in the Thames. Uh, I remember seeing that footage. I mean, there's three bits of footage actually, three separate pieces of footage mm-hmm. over three or four weeks, and it's um, you've had the first one from the the cable car, the three humps, mm-hmm. um, and next to the you know its position to the O2 Centre would make it a significant size. Then you have the one from the pleasure cruiser. You know, there's a bunch of people talking about a rainbow off camera somewhere, a bunch of friends, and one of them is obviously, what's that, in the water and start filming, and it's a big, long serpentine animal, animal with a, a kind of a bump, or a bumpy head, a rounded head at the front. Yeah, obviously, whales don't swim in a serpentine way, do they? They don't mm-hmm. swim in that shape, so it can't be a whale. And then there's the third one, which is big black hump um, near Docklands um, in the River Thames. That's photographed uh, by a a tourist on the speedboat as the speedboat is zooming down at one of these tours down the Thames, you know, terrifying these poor tourists. One of them catches the creature's hump emerge and, and submerge just off camera. And that was, you know, it was amazing to me what was going on. This is a busy, busy waterway. If this was a whale, we'd be, and we have had whales occasionally get trapped in the Thames, like uh, pilot whales, and there was recently a dolphin, um, which unfortunately died. We'd see it blowing, and that's what we see with these other um, registered sightings of whales and dolphins. You see them blowing and you know uh, constantly coming to the surface for air, and it, they're very noticeable. Oh well, yeah, any this cetacean creature, mammal is going to have that. So exactly, this creature didn't have that. There were no blows. It, there was just three sightings or three film sightings that we know of, and then it disappears. Um, two weeks later. Uh, there's a, a little island here called the Isle of Wight, which is just as you come out of the Thames, just around the little coast there, and there's a little port called Portsmouth, and there's a, a ferry that goes across a piece of water called the Solent uh, between the land and the, this Isle of Wight. Somebody photographed a similar three-humped creature, kind of basking almost uh, in the water uh, near sunset. Wonderful photo. And again, you know, here's this similar sighting of a creature. So we, you know, we have a lot of things like that. Um, in Wales, we have a lot. Um, there's a, a particular one. The name for the lake monster or a sea monster in Wales is Avank, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, which is actually an old Welsh word, which means beaver. Um, but, <laughs> I didn't yeah. know. Just, Just not a beaver. beaver. 
we've got some pretty nasty beavers up there. <laughs> oh no! No, I'm kidding. But uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> you find this very strange thing in lots of languages. So, like you know, in Hebrew, and um, the word tanin for a crocodile is also the word for like a like a a water monster of some kind. Tanin in the old Hebrew, um, and that's the way it's it's listed. But it'll, today, it just means crocodile. You know, so you have these similarities, and I think I write a lot in the book about, um, or parts about uh, ancient persons' uh, lack of comparative um, examples to base their sightings upon. You know, if you like the water horse, you know, if you saw a creature with a horsey, camel-like head, the big serpentine body, and a, you know, like like Nessie. 300 years ago well what does that look like or is it kind of like a horse like head or it's a water horse you know you you start to build up this mythology or um with bigfoot for instance we had the woodwows which is the hairy man of the forest for hundreds and hundreds of years but that's the um he's always depicted as a very tall man covered in hair uh sometimes carries a club mm-hmm. so you, you have those those old legends and I was, I was thinking really surprised by the amount of Bigfoot sightings you guys have over there. Yes. You guys oh, yeah. have a lot of Bigfoot sightings, which is, is it's peculiar to me because the UK, Britain, it, it's an island. You know, it's it's not that mm. big. And well, I mean, it, it's it's a little smaller than New England. So it's it's a lot larger than people give it credit for. It's not as small as we think it yeah. is. Yeah, I but... mean it's an island, but it's not a small island. But there's, I think that the secret. Sorry to interrupt your origin. No, go ahead. Way, go but, ahead. Um, uh, the secret to um, I'm just laughing at my apologies. It's so typically me. <laughs> yes. Actually, me sorry. No, yes. <laughs> I'm actually your Very sorry. I don't mean uh, it, but I'm saying it. So. <laughs> go ahead. I have to say, have to say it. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was going to say about the, the Bigfoot thing here is um, it's to do, I think it's survival is to do with the way our society is, is set out. So actually, we actually have very little urban sprawl in our country. So we've got 65.5 million people, most of whom are in cities. So we're the third most populous nation in Europe after Germany and France. But, um, you know, we're not uncomfortably packed over every scrap of the country we're mostly in the city so um in england wales for example so we've got approximately 57 57.9 million people 81.5 percent of them live in urban areas and cities and towns only 18.5 percent live in rural areas the total land area of the urban areas is 1.1 million hectares so that's 7.4 percent of england and wales combined that's just in England and Wales. So only 7.4% of that area is inhabited, you know, with urban uh, urbanites like myself. Mm-hmm. The rest is just, and you'll find that if you go out here on the train or you drive, or it's just fields and forests and hills and nothing. Occasional farms here and there, livestock, lots of livestock, millions, in fact. Uh, no natural predators, so to speak, of, unless you count the big cats that were yeah, seemingly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's maybe not a natural predator, but I know I wouldn't want to yeah, tangle with one of the woods. Exactly. We've got a couple of unnatural predators mm-hmm. sneaking up the place. But what I'm saying is really is that even to people in Britain, it would seem like there's no room. If you live in London like me, you're like, well, there's no room for a Bigfoot. Look at this place. But you get out there 
just outside of Tanzan cities. And it's just the same as the US. It's just countryside for miles and miles and miles um, before you get to the next town. And then again, you start again with the countryside. And I think, rurally speaking, there's very little lighting here after dark. And it's just, you know, we're an island in darkness. It's blackness mm-hmm. everywhere. You could walk for miles and miles at night to the fields, not see a soul. And nobody would see you and you wouldn't see where you're going. <laughs> you know, it's just, there's no lighting out there. Well, let me ask you about the world woes then, because I don't know a whole heck of a lot about mm-hmm. it, but you do talk about the world woes in your book. So yeah. what is the world woes and what are the legends behind it? So the wood woes are <clears throat> a tribe of, of hairy men, wild men, uh, hairy men of the wild men of the forest. Um, it's it's a legend that's not only British but European. Uh, these tall, hairy, bipedal men, <clears throat> the keepers of the forest, that have existed here, you know, since time immemorial. Some people in Europe have referred to them as trolls. I think that's quite a common perception. Um, and there have been some Bigfoot linked articles actually talking with the subject in our our trolls, Bigfoots, the trolls of history, so to speak. In this country, it's something that's that's very little known. And and even myself when I started getting into this side of cryptozoology, I was very surprised to hear about all the Bigfoot sightings. I when finding Bigfoot came here, I thought it was funny actually originally. I I wasn't really even interested. And I said, yeah, they said they were reaching. And I said, yeah, you're definitely reaching, <laughs> you know, because I've been studying this stuff for years and I've never encountered this, you know, an occasional thing. There was one, the Kentish ape man and um, the Sussex ape man. And a few things like that have been reported, but a blurry photo. And oh, I just thought, well, they're just kind of maybe jumping on the bandwagon. You know, it's a newspaper seller. It doesn't even make the newspapers most of the time. And um, then I got in touch with the British Bigfoot Research Group and a few others, people like Neil Young, who, who actually featured on that Finding Bigfoot episode. We've got a research site in Harwood Forest up north. And uh, Deborah Hatswell, Adam Bird, um, Christopher Turner, uh, documentary making uh, maker, John Spencer, a bunch of Bigfoot Tony, probably heard of him. He does a lot of um, great Bigfoot breakdown videos, actually, on the net. And he's uh, actually recorded what appears to be a large bipedal figure shaking a tree in Wales and Caerphilly Mountain, which, which could be the, uh, the Welsh Bigfoot. Uh, yeah, so we started talking to these people and just started to realise that there's something to this, you know. Uh, read the reports. They were very British, very matter-of-fact. Most of them were um, we call antagonistic witnesses. They had no background in Bigfoot. They had no knowledge of it. Uh, they often describe the creature as a giant chimpanzee walking on two legs or a big gorilla on two legs, um, which, again, is this um, this shocked experience of lacking a comparison, right? It sounds like an orangutan. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it, it's apparently more similar to the um, Almas or Almasti of, of Russia, which is smaller, more, more man-like compact and powerful. Appearance. Yeah, compact, about maybe seven feet. Some of them have been reported at eight feet here, actually, but nothing above that height. <clears throat> um, it does appear to be the same as the American, and the same kind of species. If you put a Sasquatch and a, an Almas and a Woodwose and a Yeren um, and Yeti together, you know, the, the similarities are obviously very clear, um, although they might have some differences between them. Um, 
so yeah, I just thought, okay, let's really look into this. And I dug up sighting after sighting after sighting, and I, I met a great crowd of people doing it too. Um, you know, people who are not making money out of it. I know Bigfoot is a phenomenon in the US at the moment. And if you just go online, you see page after page, right? And different shows and. Well, it's, uh, it's always been a thing over here, but now it's starting to, with the advent of paranormal television, you know, mm. <clears throat> all of this stuff is starting to break big now, be it, you know, ghost hunting. Well, ghost hunting, the ghost yeah. hunter show is what started it over here. And then oh, yeah. from there you, you had a spat a while of like UFO, UFO related shows, which kind of go nowhere uh-huh. because, and if you were standing here and looked in the sky, you would have saw a light that night. You know, that's, that's about yeah. as far as they can go with those. Yeah. But the Bigfoot and the ghost hunting shows, they've at least got locations that can go investigate and, and give some kind of a history and a background to something. So, you know, it's the rise of paranormal television in general is what's making all this stuff increase, in my opinion. It's getting yeah. more of an eye on it. Yeah, exactly. It definitely. I, I'm, um, I think, and I, obviously I use this as part of a pitch, and I was talking to somebody about doing a documentary. <clears throat> um, I think that people start to realize that the, the world isn't discovered. And what we've been told for, you know, in our lifetime, at least growing up, about everything being categorized and found and, and neatly filed away, is it's a lie. You know, we might have Google Earth, but we don't know what's lurking down there. And um, I think that's a very important thing. People can get involved and have this, um, have these really interesting experiences. And we often encourage people you know, to go out, go out and have a look you know i know you've got like the project go and see over there which is a great project right um people getting out and having a look around and just enjoying being outside even if they find nothing yeah we gotta attribute you know, that get, to get pokemon to go though <laughs> no don't oh, yeah. talk crap about pokemon <laughs> <laughs> i'm still playing that oh you really yes i am <laughs> sadly I'm, I'm not very good at adulting i'm 42 and still play oh, games really oh at the same age well oh i'm always 42. <laughs> They need to make um, a Pokemon I'm, Go version, like a Bigfoot Go, where you actually like yeah. go out in the woods and hunt for Bigfoot in the woods is something like that. Bigimon. Yeah, yeah. Big, yeah, Bigimon. There you go, right there. Go Bigimon. patent it. You can have it. Go ahead. Patent it and make it your thing. <laughs> no, it's the, I, I'm giving it to you. It's my gift. We can't even show. give it to each other. I don't, I don't want it. You take it. <laughs> give this away. <laughs> Anyways, go ahead. I'm sorry. Prefer, yeah, well, I was just going to say that... Um, there's, I mean, there are a lot of sightings. I could give you a few examples of some of the sightings, actually. Um, uh, I've actually investigated a few of these myself uh, recently. I've been in my area. And um, uh, one of the ones I liked, it was uh, of the Box Hill Ape. And I went to this area in, um, in North Downs in Surrey. So Surrey, is, it's kind of a, it's a shire, you know, it's, a, it's an area outside of London. It's a... Hamlet of, of a song, I guess, you know, I don't know how many square miles it is. Um, anyway, so there's an area, a beautiful area called Box Hill, and it's about 350 feet elevation. It's a natural trust area, so that means it's a, it's a reservation of sorts, you know, it's a, it's a preserved area. Forests and uh, these beautiful winding steps, you know, the steps you get that are hemmed in by, by wood, and they're just a long piece of earth, basically, mm-hmm. winding down to the forest, thick forest on each side, and the brave often jog up and down those steps. I, I didn't, I wasn't up for that myself, but um, I went to have a look there. And what actually happened to this witness is they were jogging, um, I believe it was in the summer of 2012, and they 
these steps are really steep, you know, so they took a rest on the um, on the steps and um, they thought they heard a, a dog walker coming down behind them, sort of late evening, but still light. Um, and so they moved to the side thinking this person would pass them and nothing happened, nobody passed and witness turned around and saw a very large muscular ape, that's actually described, over six feet tall, covered in brown fur with grey patches in it, with still in two legs said that the face was very human-looking with a flat nose, but a jaw that was very big, that seemed out of proportion to the size of the head, and the head was domed at the top. The animal looked at the witness for about 30 seconds and left, keeping a watchful eye over its shoulder uh, at the person as it walked away. And this is quite significant here, and we've had a few of these added extras onto this um to these kinds of sightings, there was a, a, a stale smell. She described it as a farm animal smell that lingered after the creature left, which to me is never a reinforcement of the um, you know defensive skunk-like smell of the Bigfoot instead of yeah, it just being smelly. Yeah, um, we've got a few of those types of reports actually, and um, there's a whole bunch of things like that. It just what I like about it is it what you pick up from that is that witness had no concept of Bigfoot, had no, even the description, there's no mention of Bigfoot. I don't know what they're looking at. They, they're saying, this is a person, this is an ape, it's on two legs. You know, this was six feet tall, not eight or nine feet tall, for example, but heavily muscled. And as an ape would, curiously, it observes the person, leaves and leaves that weird smell. You know, so it's not followed. Make sure it's not followed as well as it's walking away. Keeps looking at the witness and then disappears. And I walk this path, this winding path, and every sort of corner you come to, because it's a winding step and it's so steep, mm-hmm. it's forested on each side, you could disappear so easily. You know, you, we tested it, me and the cameraman, I popped around the corner and I'm, I'm gone suddenly, you know? And it's very easy to, uh, very easy to, to evade somebody. And I thought, this is a great sight. This is so close to my home, you know. This is twenty minutes from a, from a, the city. What's going on here? Uh, and it, it's just like that all the way throughout the country. The sightings are uh, countrywide, but significantly significantly higher where there are more people, which to me indicates um, a widespread dispersion, but less people around to see them in certain areas. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. I mean, you look yeah. at uh, Black Bear over here, mm-hmm. you could be, you know, you could be 10, 20 yards away from one and not even know it's there until it moves. Yes. Same thing exactly. with deer. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And we have millions of those. A deer, that is. We don't have any bears. Yeah. They're really tall um, rats. That's all they are. Yeah, They're good eating, super- though. <laughs> you deer or Bigfoot? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Maybe that's why they're all gone. They're delicious. So <laughs> this was the original problem. We used to eat them clearly. Well, there you go. Tell me about your dogmen that you have over there. Because we, okay. we've got dogmen sightings here, but they're mm-hmm. not they don't they don't match the same kind of thing that yours guys does. Yours guys. That's a yeah, okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Look. Um I'm I'm originally from Wales, so I, I'm nobody to judge your English. You so <laughs> guys, you guys got this dogman problem over there. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely American. <laughs> we do we do have this dogman issue going on at the moment. Uh, there was a, a 
there's two seemingly, and I think it's the same in the US as well, there's seemingly two types of sightings. One is of a bipedal man-like, Bigfoot-like figure, but with a, a wolf or dog-like face and snout. Another is with a large wolf-like creature that stands up on two wolf-like legs and runs. So it's often seen on all fours as much as it's seen uh, run, you know, uh, moving um, on two legs. Um, I'm not sure if they're the same thing or if it's to do with witness perception. I, I used to think that um, that the dog man was kind of a Bigfoot with a muzzle, right? So what often stands out about the Bigfoot not looking quite like an ape or a man is it's got a flat face and a separate nose and mouth. Mm-hmm. So it gives you this human appearance. An ape has a muzzle, doesn't it? You find this even with the Yowie, actually, then yeah. they're described that way. They don't have a muzzle. They have this separate... Uh, so these lips and these separate nose that makes it almost seem human-like. I think that's the aspect that comes over. And I wondered, okay, so maybe the dog man is the Bigfoot with the muzzle, right? But these werewolf sightings, the ones on two legs, the wolf legs, they kind of get rid of that (laughs) notion and makes me think that we're looking at two different creatures. Um, I'll give you an example of a sighting, actually. You might be aware of, if that's okay. Go ahead, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, we like that stuff. Yeah, I got. Lost. I should just give you sightings actually instead of waffling. Um, so it's called the Hull Wheel. Uh, in 2016, uh, there's an area called Hull uh, in East Yorkshire in England, and um, where the uh, expression "I've been to Hull and back" comes from actually. Uh, and um, the first sighting of this was um, there was a, there's a legend there of something called Old Stinker. Uh, this this wolf-like creature that's supposed to long, uh, roam the countryside there. So this is related to that. There's a 2016, several sightings. And the first one's made by a local woman. And she describes it as running on two legs and then on all fours, resembling a human and a wolf. Um, then later after that, a couple say that they also saw something tall and hairy eating a dog, an Alsatian dog, next to a drainage channel. So it's kind of a deep-sided... Uh, river really with a um, some sort of output of water that's coming from the city mm-hmm. um, and it runs away from them once they see it jumps over the drainage channel and then leaps over an eight foot high fence with a dead dog in its mouth that's something you hear a lot in dogman legends is there like well you don't hear this with werewolf but you always hear it with dogman stories especially here where i'm at in michigan of these things being able to leap incredible distances that they can mm. make these huge bounds over <clears throat> fences and cars and and ravines and ditches and things like that. Whereas with werewolves, it's like, yeah, it looked like a wolf and it was it was you know doing whatever it was doing, but it wasn't like bounding over the trees like you know like some kung mm. fu movie or something like that. I I think that's an interesting point. And to me, I've been trying to figure out whether the ones where they they can jump a great distance, the ones with the the dog like legs, or with the man-like legs because clearly that's what i think too surely it's that but in this case you know the first one said it looked like a human and a wolf i but i still wonder if that's a description of something walking on two legs instead of the type of legs that it had yeah more bipedal Um, in nature yeah um it is quite confusing so this one was seen a lot more actually after this uh there was another dog walker uh spotted a half dog half human um thing on the path ahead of her she stated that um, her dog refused to go any further along the path they were walking down i don't know why that's a 
a detail because of course you you turn around and run away. She's angry with the dog for not going any further, right? <laughs> there's, a, there's a half dog, half human there, but you know she's out for a walk. She's going to go for it. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> exactly. We're very indignant. We will always stick to our guns over here. <laughs> <laughs> I've been walking this path for 22 years with my dog. <laughs> you shall not pass. Um, so <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. For reference, you brought Monty Python into the conversation, not me. <laughs> I, did. I did. I was being Gandalf, actually, but now the Python thing also works. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. I yeah, was thinking of the Black bad. Knight from uh, Monty Python. I'm oh, sorry. It's just a flesh wound, right? Yes. So, yes. <laughs> of course, we're all raised on Python from, from um, kindergarten onwards, actually. And uh, uh, so, again, then August of that year, another woman describes the moment she came face to face with a werewolf as she's driving to um, the East Riding village of Halsham, which is in a similar area. And she saw a creature on all fours, which walked towards the car on two legs. She's described it as looking like a big dog, probably bigger than her car, covered in green and gray, uh, gray colored fur, but with a human face. So that goes back to the Bigfoot thing for me, you see? Um, mm, that's creepy. Why did the face look human now instead of you know, instead of dog-like. So they are a little bit confusing. There are lots of different sightings, uh, including one, which I think actually belongs to Linda Godfrey. She reported in one of her books about um, a man being attacked in Camberwell Cemetery. So this is in London. You know, this is, a, this is an urban area. There's countryside a bit around, but this creature's come right in, and he's walking through Camberwell Cemetery to get to a, a friend's house. And um, he walks to the old part of the cemetery to take a shortcut. It's nighttime. It's really dark. Mm. Thinks he hears something, and suddenly something very strong grabs him by the arm and slams him into the ground. He looks up and he sees this like slathering face of this dog, wolf-like creature with this man's body holding him down, sniffing him up and down, and curiously and really looking at him. And uh, it's, it suits its starts. It finishes, and the creature runs off. And he adds something really interesting to the report. He says that he thinks that it didn't attack him because he has a disease that dogs can smell. What? What's yeah. Yeah, some dogs can smell cancer. Yeah, and different diseases. So mm -hmm. essentially, you know, if it was trying to prey on him, it's bad, bad meat, right? Huh. Yeah, tainted meat. Hmm. <laughs> wow, that's ugh. Yeah. I guess I'm safe. Are there many reports of people being attacked over there by, by dogmen and werewolf? There aren't, actually. And this, the same with the Bigfoot. You know, there was a, there's a few bluff charge incidents. Um, but there's that particular one, which I, I'm not sure if it was from Linda Godfrey, actually, but I, um, I'll mention her name because I think it, it's possible. Um, there is one more. There's one with an attack happening, a woman's chased. This is in Devon from 1996, and her dogs are killed. Um, I don't know about the validity of this one, but it was on Deborah Hatfield's side, the, the BBR, and she's normally quite good at validating me, so I, I, I made a note of it anyway. And this is the only other uh, instance I can think of. So it's October 96, and there's um, a woman walking on Dartmoor, so you probably heard of Dartmoor, the Moors, you know, mm -hmm. uh, Sherlock Holmes and uh, yeah, the whole thing. Yeah, Grimpen Mire. Um, yeah, 
that's right. But not Grimpermire. It's um, but it's on. It's in Dartmoor. So it's okay. on the moors there in Devon. And um, she's pursued by a, a huge creature. It's covered in fine black, grey and brown fur. So eight feet tall, with a wolf-like snout, brilliant yellow eyes, long forelegs, and a deep chest. She starts to run, but the creature catches up with her very quickly. Her dogs turn around to defend her. And she's walking, and um, she keeps running. And she's looking back, and she sees the creature kill them, smashes, I think, one against the rock, and you know, um, breaks the other one's neck or something like that. I'm not entirely sure of the sighting. It's it's there, uh, it's been reported, it's been out there, so I've, I've included it in the book. But that's the only other um, attack I can think of. Other people have been chased by Bigfoot-like creatures, um, and it's always like a bluff charge. You know, the creature gets so far away from them that it stops, like an ape would. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When a gorilla comes in, I think there was a, a sighting here in Dorking, Deep Team, which is also in Surrey. And um, some guys, they were going, uh, investigating tunnels. So there's all these old railway tunnels around the country that were used during the war as command bases, and they're empty now, and people go and investigate them. It's like a hobby. And these two brothers, they're going to investigate this tunnel. They, it's in a, an abandoned area. They came up to to the mouth of the tunnel. They heard something inside. They thought there must be other explorers in there. Let's just wait on the grass here until they come back. And then their dogs start barking and seem afraid. They, they wonder what's going on. And they hear this almighty roar and this rushing through the trees coming towards them, and branches breaking and snapping and all kinds of things. Bluff charge. It goes on for a couple of minutes and it's quiet. And they're deadly quiet and they can hear walking around and the occasional snap and feel something watching them. And they wait about 10, 15 minutes, and once it's completely quiet, they leave the area. But they were absolutely convinced that what they heard was like a like a gorilla, you know, like a big, huge sound of a gorilla, as you'd see, you know, going crazy, you know, stamping out its territory. There's been a few instances like that, but it's rare. I think most people see them here in um, accidental circumstances. When they've run across the creature and they're alone, and the creature's been curious, like this box hill ape man that we talked about, and um, and then they disappear. They have a little look and they're off. Hmm. Well, Lobo, unless you've got any more questions about Dogman or Bigfoot, which if you do, it's fine. I was going to jump on to some of the more stranger things that you guys have over there. Well, like the uh-huh. Batman. <sighs> Well, we could, uh, yeah. Let, you know what? Sure. Since you brought it up, let's just talk gotta, about the Batman. Talk about the Batman. Gotta talk about the Batman. Uh, Sight Hill in the okay. cemetery. Sight Hill Cemetery. Okay. Okay. So, um, now this explains why the other interviewer was confused when I accused him of wanting to know about this story tonight before I spoke to you, and he's like, "I said, I think you want to know about the Batman at Sight Hill Cemetery, right?" He said, "Yeah, sure. Okay, I guess." Oh no! And um, I got a like stuff in just he ran with it. He was very oh, okay. Um, cool. Yeah. I'll tell you again, since you weren't there for the other one. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> so basically this is, um, this is a sighting that, that takes place, uh, in Sight Hill Cemetery, which is in Glasgow, um, which is creepy enough a place just with the people in it. Um, it's quite, quite a tough town in Glasgow. <laughs> if you're not looking out for giant bats and big cats. We have <laughs> listeners that live in Glasgow too. That's what's it's funny. Fine. <laughs> I love the Scottish. I love them. I'm I'm from a Celtic place, but you know they know and I know <laughs> that we can't. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. We can't understand each other. We can't. And if you're from Glasgow, then it's hard for people to understand you in the rest of the country. 
you might as well be speaking. A There's language. a video floating around about that right now. Where uh, oh yeah, you've seen it where the woman's trying to talk to the kid and she has to bring a translator in. To, 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 what's it was? What yeah, sure. It was sure. hysterical. I had when train spotting the movie first went to the U.S. They put subtitles on it initially, mm-hmm. um, and admittedly, I watched it. And I did struggle from time to time to know what was going on. Oh no! Um, I did. <laughs> I did. We didn't get the subtitles. We weren't allowed. Um, so anyway, uh, the Batman Sighted Hill Cemetery. This is um, this is a mysterious bipedal creature that's um spotted by somebody driving home in the early hours of the morning about 4 30 a.m and they uh, they miss a turn and they uh, there's a new area they've just moved in so they pull over to perform a, a u-turn turn around and they see something shoot out of the cemetery gates to the left and down the street it shoots down the street at uh, an immense really fast speed and they describe it as looking something like a man you know jet black color what might have been bat wings or a cowl you know what a cowl is like a big cloak oh yeah yeah like, like a old. batman yeah <laughs> yeah or like a cow like, like batman see when i see cow like i'm like my mind goes to the middle ages i'm gonna somebody's like doing witch trials or something yeah you know, it's very like, creed like yeah if you're wearing a cow i don't trust anybody in a cow personally um <laughs> that's a that's a sign of, of you know um Poor intent. I, mean, I, 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 I own two. I own one made of uh, sackcloth and I own one made of oil skin. This is terrible. <laughs> I'm getting on so well. <laughs> We're doing so well. <laughs> I can't come back from that. I've already said I don't like or trust anybody that owns a cow. You could have given me Let that information. Two. <laughs> I tell you what, if we've got two, we can each wear a cowl. If we meet and we'll be on equal footing. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> oh my god. Wow, we so, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, okay. So just Continue. to recap. <laughs> just to recap and, and um for the cut everybody who wears a cowl is, is fine in in my opinion. <laughs> 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 oh man! Oh, so this thing, this Batman, this thing, um, heads down the street really fast. It's, it's a lot. It's a tall, man-like creature wearing a cowl, or it has wings. So it, it you know, it, uh, it implies that they're down by its side anyway, and runs off. So this is curious. He drives after it forty miles per hour, and is unable to catch up with it. Um, and finally, he gets to the the. Uh, the end of the street there and 200 yards ahead you see something stood stock still looking like a man or, or man-like wearing this heavy cowl and drives towards it slowly and as he drives towards it it jumps vertically up in the air and clears a 20-foot fence this sounds movement. like mothman or the we used to have something here spring hill jack yes. yeah a lot of mothman type sightings here i always thought that the owl man was like a mothman type sighting mm-hmm. yes um it's got that same thing. You have this um, weird hiss, this um, sometimes this uh, electric charge in the air. Is that, does that come with Mothman as well? I, I haven't investigated that one very much. But, um, it has, yeah. There's been re- mm. sightings of Mothman that have that kind of effect to them. Yeah. They're always red, like red eyes. Yeah. They're always like bat winged, um, cowl like mm. in many situations. Like the ones that have been reported recently uh-huh. in Chicago this last year, there was oh, all yeah. kinds of strange yeah. things along those lines reported with those sightings. Yeah, and then I actually I remember seeing some uh, picking up on some um, detail about that about the um, 
the electronic charge or the um, static static sound. Mm-hmm. Um, well, anyway, this particular thing, you know, we have this um, this old. Uh, so it's not a myth actually. It's an old group of stories about Springheel Jack. You know, I think he's from the, the Victorian uh, era actually, and he was said to sort of jump out on people and. I think he might have even forcibly kissed somebody. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, You know, um, they depict him looking like a man with bat-like wings. Mm -hmm. He emitted blue flame. Yeah. Our stories was blue flame. One of them had the smell of chloroform, which I don't know how that smells. smells like pass out. It it smells like being asleep. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was always my um, re- uh, re- recollection of the smell of chloroform. Actually, it's almost not like being asleep. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, I don't have any experience with that. I just want to point that out. But <laughs> <laughs> does this rag smell don't like you? chloroform? Yeah. <laughs> it, I mean, if you're wearing a cowl and you ask somebody that question, indeed, <laughs> you lose their trust instantly. Touche, my good man. Touche. <laughs> You know, um, but, <laughs> yeah, I told you this wasn't going to be a normal show for you. <laughs> no, it's great because they've all been very serious. And the thing about cryptozoology is that it's, um, you know what? It's a funny, it's a funny thing to be into. Now, I've been like a singer, I've been a musician for, gosh, what's it, like 28 years already? Um, a long time. And I was always in that kind of world, playing and geeking and touring and stuff like that. So, you know, you meet some interesting characters, but nothing like cryptozoology. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's because it really is open. It's like a multi-faith discipline. You know, all of the, the people you meet, they've all got a kind of different background, philosophical outlook or faith. I like to call it a philosophy, but, you know, whether that's science or um or spirituality, or the paranormal, or the desire to find unknown creatures of adventure. It's, it all comes from this philosophical um, foundation that they, they're unaware of in themselves, you know. And um, I talked about it recently in this article, um, that anybody who thinks, well, he's a scientist or he's a layman, that he's not subject to his philosophy, he's investigating somebody, he's fooling himself, or she's fooling herself, you're always subject. And I point out in the book at the beginning, said, you know, I'm obviously trying to write this as objectively as I can, but, you know, I'm fully aware of the complete um, stupidity of such a, an attempt because it's not possible, mm. I'll, but I'll do my best. Yeah, yeah <laughs> it's but it's not be my really, opinion at the end of the day. It's not really as much a fool's errand as some other things you could be involved in. No, I don't believe it's foolish at all. I think it's, it's exciting, you know. Yes. I'm, I'm clearly, I feel still very excited. I'm actually writing two other books at the moment. I started them on different, one on a different area in the world um, and another one on um, lake monsters. Um, so I've just started those and I hope to get them done by next year. Cool. Um, mm, I'm doing, uh, did I tell you about the documentary I'm involved in, Cryptozoologist? Yes. I think I mentioned that at the, mentioned beginning. at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so that that's happening. But I'm also doing a, a bunch of talks um, in the UK. And so there's going to be the first ever, ever British cryptid conference in the UK is happening next year in May. So I'm a part of that. So we're starting to talk to each other here. You know, we're getting together and saying, let's um, 
69 totally different camps and people wow, I, really I would have told. thought that would have happened a long time ago they've got things here like the weird weekend and there's a lot of um zoo form type talks um a weird weekend is great actually i'm doing that too but it's um it's not really specifically devoted to cryptozoology um whereas this is just going to be about that that only and and there's a uh, christopher tinner is the organizer organizer of that actually and richard freeman is, is speaking there and yeah you probably uh might know of him from the, his late monster expeditions in in russia and his search for the mongolian death one mm-hmm. oh yeah yep. yeah yep. yeah he's a, i recently met him he's a great great cryptozoologist and lovely guy too actually um which obviously i've got to say that next i want him to appear in the documentary but uh <laughs> have you uh have you had any interactions with adam davies i i've spoke to adam a few times actually i don't know him as a friend but we do speak um he's, an interesting you know, yeah. he's a nice guy i like him and he's originally welsh apparently somewhere in there the name gives it away but i spotted him online with a welsh shirt on during the rugby and i was like hey <laughs> He's done a lot friends. of work with uh, Orin Pendek, hmm. and now he's over here in the States working on Bigfoot. Yeah, yeah that's I'm right. I'm friends yeah. with him on Facebook. He's a really cool cat. He really, really is. And uh, the great thing about um, Adam, apart from his um, – now, he's fully scientific. Mm-hmm. You know, he only entertains the provable, and that's very important. We need lots of people like Adam and, and other writers like Carl Schuker come from the scientific perspective to give us credibility mm-hmm. in that world and um but he's you know he's really dedicated he's gone over there year after year after year looking for the iron pendic and he's made that life in america and he's an authority but what i love about him is that um and i'll end my adam davis fan club speech here but like, <laughs> um what i like about him is uh when i first contacted him i didn't know him i didn't know anybody who knew him he came back to me and we had a chat about things. And I thought, you know what? How many people must just message him all the time? He's talking to me. You know, he doesn't even know who I am yet. This is, um, he's got time for people. I think it's a nice thing. Nice. It's cool nice. when you find people out there that are like that, that are that, yeah. that well-known, that aren't like rock stars on what they do or whatever, or have that mm-hmm. attitude to them. Because there are people in the in the realm of cryptozoology that just, they can't be bothered. Yeah, I mean, I had a few um, when I decided I was going to do it seriously. This so this was a year ago. I had my um had another little site called Return to Ick, and it was about dinosaurs and like those discoveries of artwork and things that people had found. And then I decided to do this thing. It was on the I think the first blog I produced was the nineteenth of November, twenty sixteen, I believe. And I just said, um, okay, I'm going to do it now. You know, I'm going to actually make something of it and I'll write a book and I'll put little blogs out from the book along the way and start making friends. And I, I think obviously just talked to hundreds of people <laughs> very nicely and said, Oh, hey, I'm like sort of new officially. Can I pick your brain? <laughs> Can you give me some contacts? <laughs> mm-hmm. And everybody's been super nice, but there were a few individuals in the beginning who were less than nice. And, you know, you always get those people. Um, because you know, it's a genre that's changing and people have been in it for a long time. Some of them um, are unhappy about the new guys or, or where it, not so much the new guys, but where it's going. I think it's becoming very popular and some people see that as a selling out uh, or as a, a threat to evidence. 
I don't know if you can look at it that way, though. I mean, I mean, I there's there's the old saying that even bad publicity is is publicity. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, you're gonna have you're gonna have kooks. That's gonna happen mm. in everything. You have sure, in definitely. every scientific study or research, you're always gonna have kooks. But they at least draw attention to what's going on, and then the people that are brought in can make up their own minds. Hopefully, make yeah. Up but their the own downside mind. of that is you have the skeptical community that will go to the least, the, the lowest common denominator and point yeah. to that. They're gonna go, "There's Bobo," you know. That's yeah. what a Bigfoot hunting. Yeah, but you're person gonna have is. that. You're gonna have that no matter what. Yeah, I understand. You know, but it's. I could see where the frustration comes from. You yeah, know? I mean, I'm not personally frustrated by it I, because obviously I was one of these new people coming in and I felt actually very, um, I felt a, a lot of welcome from people um, that I didn't even expect to say hello. Um, so that's been nice. And, and clearly I've been very passionate about it. Um, you know, I've laid out, I think it's seven or eight books on the subject I'm going to write in different areas. Wow, that's thinking um, ahead. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's admirable. Yeah, it, it just kept it just kept rolling over, and I kept coming up with material that um that I couldn't use and for other things. It would be, the other books won't be about Britain. These other ones. I mean, this is just starting here, and then these are you know Europa and um, Africa, and then maybe it won't be called that, but you know the regions there. Um, uh, so like a series and then little books on the side about particular cryptids that I'm interested in. Um, and we are married. I've got two kids and uh, work. So it's, um, uh, but I do commute. So that helps because there's a lot of downtime going in and out of London every day to write. I mean, most of this book I wrote on my phone, actually. No kidding. Uh, wow. Coming back and forth on, on OneNote when I had the old crappy <laughs> um, uh, phone that just, you know, sitting there on the train, all the delays. I think it's insane sometimes. You know, six hours occasionally at the worst one. Oh hell no! Sitting there and, and I, I wrote about fifty pages that day. <laughs> so it was six great. hours. Well, that's that's probably the worst I've had. Six hours. Yeah, but still, I can yeah. get from my house to the doorstep of where we stay in Maine in six hours. Oh, you could. I mean, I could. Just I could probably get halfway to there in six hours. I play, but it's you know, it happens. It's London. It's busy. Mostly True. the transport works very well, but uh, it's London life. You know, you um you get used to it. I'm from a very polite place where people are friendly. But now I've learned to you know we have this thing on the escalator. Here. You you stand on the right and you walk on the left, mm. and a tourist don't always know that. But if I'm heading to work and you're on the left, you're going down those stairs. That's just the way it is. <laughs> <laughs> Understandable. That's changed. I've lost that that empathic. Yeah. <laughs> Feeling for my fellow man living in London for the last nine years. Yeah, it's gone. <laughs> Get a cowl. That. That'll change. Yeah. A cowl and some chloroform. You don't yeah. even have to push them. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. Um, before Lobo hits you with another question here, because we're coming up okay. on the hour mark, and I don't want to keep you too much okay. longer than an hour. It's okay. Um, I've got to ask you about this legend of the screeching serpents. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So this is, um, this isn't a legend. I mean, it's the way I've, I've phrased it, I suppose. This, this is a recent sighting. Um, and it's in Shropshire. Shropshire is a lovely, lovely County in England. It's beautiful, very rural, you know, it's just a, a nice place, quiet place to live basically. And it's, um, there's a guy called, uh, uh Jonathan Whitcomb and he's got a site called Pterosaur, uh, liveterrasaur.com. And he's been into this for ages. He's often in Papua New Guinea and 
and places like that, looking for the open. So he's, you know, he's committed. This is his field. And um, he reported on a few things here. And we've had a few pterosaur sightings in this country um, over the years. But this one was in September 2017, this year. It's really recent. You know, it's as good as yesterday in terms of, of reports. And um, basically, this lady, she lives in the area. She came out and she heard a weird screech from across the way behind some some um, some woodland. And the next thing she knows, two large grey, she called them pterodactyls originally, but they didn't have the bumps on the back of their head, um, bird-like prehistoric bird-like creatures with um, no feathers, leathery wings, flew past her together and, and disappeared you know, amidst the um, trees and the houses on the other side. Incidentally, her son had a sighting in the garden a few days later when he said that a large featherless bird flew overhead and made a weird screeching noise. So obviously was in the area. These kinds of reports, they're rare. In Britain, they do come up from time to time, and I've always considered that maybe um, it could be a migratory route for something. Um, How big were these birds? Are we talking like like small car size or? Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, the, she this is, this she describes them as being large. She doesn't really give a size. Um, I don't think they would be like that. And I was under the impression. Um, that they had long tails, and I, um, I thought maybe Ramphorhynchus. That's. I was just going to ask you about yeah. the sighting in 1798. Yes, it sounds strikingly similar. Yes, exactly. So you know, I think this is this is part of it, and it would match a European population that once existed. Of course, in European folklore, that's it's filled with dragon tails. I come from a country we've got a dragon on our flag. Mm -hmm. Um. And even though it has four legs and wings and bat-like wings, yeah, you know there are many aspects of the way it looks and, and do indicate some knowledge of the creatures. So it has the sail tail. Of course, that's a kind of cartilage, isn't it? So you couldn't really tell that from a fossil most of the time. So where do they get that sail tail from? Most Welsh dragon depictions actually have two legs. You know the traditional yeah, ribbons. Well, weapons, yeah, that's yep. right. Yeah, yeah, weapons, yeah. Um, and in uh, Welsh, that would be Thraig, uh, it's D-D-R-A-I-G. Um, mm -hmm. So our dragon is called Thraig Goch, which is uh, the dragon red or the red dragon. Not um, to sound weird, but yeah. pardon me when I ask this, do you guys still have dragon sightings over there as cryptological sightings? Uh, no, I mean, there was uh, a group of sightings, and it's quite old now. Now, there was a... Uh, I called these the Penlin parrots, um, these particular sightings, and they were yeah, I saw that yeah, Penlin Castle in in Wales. It's a nice, it's a nice area actually, and um, uh, basically, what we had there was a tale of an old person who'd received a tale from an old family member about these very colourful sort of serpents that used to live in the nearby forest near Penlin Castle, uh, that were driven out of their hiding and killed by the locals for preying on foxes. Uh, sorry, not preying on foxes, preying on poultry a lot, um, chickens and, and other things that they were keeping. And so they were very colorful and very beautiful and they had these long tails and they would uh, swoop out of the, the trees over your heads if you disturbed them and then run you out, I guess. Uh, but he actually said that his father and uncle had killed some of them. Um, 
mm. uh, when he was a child. So uh, this is in the, I think it's the 1900s, early 1900s or late 1800s. I, I couldn't actually pin the date down from the, the sighting, unfortunately. Uh, I think that the description of it's very matter of fact. Um, it doesn't seem to be embellished in any way. It seems quite a, a strange thing to, to mention. So some people said they were perhaps pheasants, which were introduced into Wales at that time. But obviously pheasants don't eat chickens <laughs> for a start. Yeah, neither do parrots. And parrots don't either. But they also mentioned that they were coiled when they were resting and they would glide swiftly to the hiding places if they were disturbed. Um, hmm. And that they were beautifully um, coloured with eyes. He said eyes like the feathers in the peacock's tail. The head crest sparkling with all of the colours of the rainbow. So it, it seems to have a sort of iridescent. It sounds appearance. like a phoenix. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't. For your yeah. part of the world, that coloration, like you see those bright, vibrant colours in like more tropical regions and things like that. You yes. don't see, yeah, you don't see bright, vibrant colours like in your area, which is you know pretty much greens and browns and standard wood colours and stuff. So yeah. golden pheasants are pretty. They're very vibrant in colour, but that would be the extent. Yeah, I mean they are. They're fond of a brownish, they got bits of red. What have you got? Some bright colored birds, like some of our woodpeckers, in bright green with a big red head crest. Yeah, but, but generally speaking, no, it's not the same though. Like you know, yeah, exactly. No, our reptiles aren't like that. We do have a a bright green lizard actually, which is, but that's one of our out of place animals. It's a European migrant that's kind of um, flourished here in recent years. So there's a lot of these kinds of sightings, you know. There's other pterosaur sightings um, from around the area from the, the 80s and, and 90s onwards, and they seem to be rare. They just seem to be quite rare. You know, every 10, 20 years or so, somebody's reporting something. My opinion was that either they're in such a rural environment that they're not seen, and some of these places they're reported in are, are very uh, lacking in people, or they just stop you on the way to somewhere else, and that's when we see them. That it's still possible. doesn't fit a migratory. I mean, where would they be going, though? It's like somewhere warmer. Yeah, <laughs> I guess so. I mean, if they're but, going from north yeah. to south, but you know. Yeah, I mean, they all. I mean, we have uh, in Scotland. Have, uh, yeah, you know, we have our own animals that fly in migratory patterns around here that are. I don't want to say they're brightly colored, but you know. But they're not they reptilian. <laughs> well, no, no, they're not that. Thank you. Yeah. Are they it's, carrying it's coconuts? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I won't go into that. <laughs> Are you suggesting coconuts migrate? Anyways, um, Lobo, you got anything more? Because I'm gonna. I'm, I'm, gonna... I'm good. I mean, I was just gonna ask about the uh, that last bit, and it was covered. It tied the two in together. So okay. Awesome. Awesome. Um, I wonder if I could just say a little bit about where to get the book. Oh, yeah, that's what I would. That's where we're going next. So, yeah, go right ahead. You beat me to it. Anywhere they can find uh, anywhere we can find the books. Just just on Amazon. So it's available in the US on Amazon.com. Um, it's paperback. It's digital. And if you um, – the digital one is obviously much cheaper. I, I don't mind which one you have if you're interested in it. Um, if you do have the – the Prime service or the, so the Kindle Unlimited, you read it for free. So I, I use that particular service. I, 
I say I read it for free. I had it, but I can read it for free as well. <laughs> I can read my own book for free now. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bargain, even if I already have it in paperback. <laughs> this book's got 70,000 um, downloads. Yeah, but 60,000 are yours. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you know, I paid for that service. I'm going to use it. Um, <laughs> Do you have a website? I don't. So at the moment, I, I, I do have beastofbritain.com, but it's being built at the moment. So uh, in the next two months, probably that will be up and running on Facebook, uh, Twitter, um, you know, Instagram, Pinterest, all, all the rest of that stuff. Um, but Facebook is probably the best place to go and, and find something. Even if people are listening, if you want to have a chat, you want to discuss things, other cryptids, I'll, I'll talk to you. Just message me. We'll have a chat. Cool. Yeah, you are pretty responsive because I was at one point having a conversation with you through both of your through your beasts of Britain and your oh, extra yeah. screen name, and it got to a point where like, which one am I answering here? <laughs> but uh, I didn't know what was going on. Yeah, you're you're pretty approachable. Um, I've noticed that you seem to be uh you seem to be taking off here. You know, you you've come onto the scene pretty quickly, and yeah. I know you've been making a lot of appearances. You were stating uh before the show that you had another one lined up after this one or before this one. And uh, off the air, you said, yeah, you're, you're doing stuff all the time with this. I'm really glad that this is taking off for you. Oh, thank you. And uh, thank it, you. it's cool to know you, and it's cool to know that you've got all this stuff lined mm -hmm. up and you're going to keep going with this, you know. Well, I, I'm also hoping to get a spot at one of the um, American uh, sort of uh, talks next year. So I've, I've approached a few people, and I'm talking to a couple of them. So I won't say anything because nothing's confirmed. So <clears throat> I can't say oh, this one or that one. But. I may be coming over there at some point cool. next year to, to do a little talk. Cool, cool. If you can get, uh, if you get, if you get any information or anything, you know, shoot it to either me or Road. We can post it right on the on the Project Archivist page. That that would be really awesome. And also, thank you both for um, for putting me on. And also, um, you know, I have had a wonderful week here with my poor children. They've been up every night all night with some little illness oh, and no. so at the end of a, a twilight zone kind of week for me in sleeping awake and this is a really nice finish <laughs> uh, you know to have a laugh laugh it out and say you know you will sleep in once again in five or six years from now you'll be a normal human being chloroform so, um, is a thing is that, as we've it, discussed it, chloroform is a we thing we actually outload uh, we outload the the use of chloroform on children in this country <laughs> probably a good <laughs> thing yeah yeah, yeah America's I mean, a little behind on that, I think. Yeah, we've only just brought it in, actually. But um, oh, well, I think it's going to work out. <laughs> I know how I you feel, man. I have three daughters. Exactly. I've got two. Yeah, exactly. I've got two. Four yes. and 18 months old, yeah. And oh, they're, wow. They're, you're, wow, you're not even out of the woods yet. My I'm youngest is going to be eight in two weeks. Oh, wow. <laughs> My well, oldest I'm looking, is 13. Yeah, I'm looking at just like I'm surrounded by trees. There's no path. Nice. <laughs> The light at the end of the tunnel will become the sun at some point. It's not the train. They're actually they they're great. Obviously, everybody says that, but they're so so good, and they love they love this kind of stuff. So my daughter has a uh, a poster on her wall I just made for her, and um, she uh, I say commissioned. She actually commanded me to draw her, a picture <laughs> of her giving the the yeti some chocolate uh, the other day. And the Yeti say, mmm, chocolate. So she now has a, like a full-scale post of that drawing on her wall. That's going to be worth money. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. Um, I mean, uh, she doesn't sell it. But <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> Not that hot up yet. Let's see what happens. All right. Yeah, if you've got any other books or anything coming out down the road, don't hesitate to get in touch with us. You, you already talked to me through Twitter and Facebook. So, you know, yeah. if, if you want to come back on, do get in touch with us. We'll gladly have you back on here. This has been a riot. 
I think you've probably been one of the funniest guests we've had on in quite some time. (laughs) So (laughs) it's been a blast talking. I'm just delirious. I'm so tired. I'm just delirious. Yeah, we because you're five hours ahead of us there. Like right here, it's six or seven our time. So it's only eleven eleven now. It's early days. Um, Oh, it's still early. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah, that's what I'm like when I'm messaging you and stuff. I'm like, man, what time is it there? Am I bugging him at like four o'clock in the morning or, you know, whatever. So always remember six. Yeah, exactly. Yes. All right. Yes. I mean, if you, yeah, go on. yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, we're going to let you go. Thanks for coming on here and talking oh, with thank us. Thank you so much. You know, it's been thank a lot of fun, man. so much. Okay. And a Merry Christmas to everybody. Happy Hanukkah and everything else. Thank you. You as well. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Want to get in contact with the show or listen to back episodes? It's easy. Go to www.projectarchivist.com. On the right side of the page, you'll find links to our archives, as well as links on how to get onto our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter. If you want to leave a voicemail for us, it's 734-681-0459. Yes, we do listen to all of them. Or if you want to talk to Lobo directly, you can call 203-212-9975. Yes, that will in fact put you in touch with his cell phone. If he's available, he will take your call and talk to you. If you're just looking to send us an email, you can do that at projectarchivist at gmail.com. Don't forget to look for us on iTunes under the podcast section, or you can stream us right to your phone with the Stitcher Android app for free. So that was Andy McGrath, probably one of the funniest people that we've had on the show in quite some time. He's a good egg. Yeah, he not only got our humor, he pretty much rolled away. It was funny, though, because you completely derailed him with your uh, with your <laughs> cowl thing. <laughs> he didn't Oops. know quite how to react to that. He rolled with it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Picked up rather easily than that one. That British, Don't anger the American. Bad things will happen. <laughs> British sensibility and politeness. <laughs> yeah, this is All why I love around. the British. Yeah, he uh, he's a nice guy. Uh, he was he was real quick to get back with me. Like when I contacted him, he was just beginning to write this book, and I was just really curious about what he was doing. I found him on Twitter, so I sent him out a tweet, and you know we started going back and forth, and then we hooked up on Facebook, and then he's like, "Yeah, here's my book. It's done." You know, we got it before anybody else did, so we've just stayed in contact with the guy. And um, what I like is, is he's just got all these unusual and strange stories in his book from all over the UK. He does mm. go into um, he, he does go into the big cats. There is also a thing in here um, talking about, you know, Operation Deep Scan and all of the research that's been done and stuff. Over there. There's a lot of stuff that we just didn't scratch the surface on. But I, I just wanted to get to the main media, like the big stuff, you know, because we haven't covered Nessie on this show. I don't think we've ever covered any kind of sea monsters on this show ever yet. Mm, no, so I don't think so. I, I don't think we have. We may have with Ben Radford briefly touched on it mm-hmm. way, way back. So anyways, having said all of that, yeah, if you get a chance, go find his book on Amazon, Beasts of Britain. Great guy, really funny. I'm sure at some point or other we'll be talking to him again, which every time I say that is usually the kiss of death with a guest. But... <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't, yeah, it is true. There's, we're going to have that person back on, never hear from them again, ever. We've had that happen a couple of times. Yes, we have. Um, but anyways, having said all that, yeah, the uh, release schedule from this point on, I, I don't know if we're going to do another show of original content or not, because I'm going to be going out of town for job training for work. And mm-hmm. then you've, the holidays are coming up. You've got kids, things get busy. Oh, yeah. Um, maybe every year. I mean, we do have the uh, the holiday special that I kind of haphazardly put together, which fell together pretty quickly. There's some very funny stories in there. 
Um, ben called in and talked to us about him seeing a space potato. That's an interesting story. <laughs> uh, Soraya mm. called. Yeah, you haven't heard any of these stories yet yourself either. So what's probably going to happen is I'm going to I'm going to edit them all down and get them all cleaned up, send them to you, have you listen to them, and then we're going to hook back up and we're going to record a pre and a post or different points in the show. We'll talk about the stories that are discussed because I know a few of these you're going to get a good crack out, a good laugh out of. <laughs> uh, Soraya was cool enough to call in and talk to me about a couple of things. Apparently, he has a ghost that enjoys ACDC. Um, that he doesn't? gets into an argument because he don't like ACDC. And then there's a story what? of him um, jumping over some kind of a, like playing Dukes of Hazard in a car with his buddies. And they jump into the middle of this transdimensional field of bunnies, which is a very interesting story. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, okay. Can't I talked to, to Brent from Hysteria 51, called in and talked to me. And gave yeah, me he a sent me a friend story. request like right after you talked to him. Yeah. I thought you were already. Ta- I, I thought you had already known Brent pretty well. I thought you had already hooked up with. I him. knew him from the show, but that's it. He made mention that um, he was the Flat Earth show that they did, and they posted it up on Facebook. That every time somebody would jump in there and start jumping on their case about what they covered, that you would immediately jump to his defense. Yep. And they eventually had to shut it down. But he uh, he had made mention that you were like in there fighting for their honor on their behalf and everything. He's trying, man. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it was cool for him. He's another person that we, at some point or another, we need to, um, in some way or another, our shows really need to hook up with him. There's all these shows that we're associated with that, like, there's guys on Twitter, and there's there's this group that's like, it's us, Asaria 51, uh, Secret Transmissions. Um, there's a few of us on there, and we're always bouncing back and forth with show ideas and stuff, and they'll ask me stuff, but I very seldom get back with them in the group. I'm kind of the dickhead asshole of the group. They'll be like, hey, we want to do this. And like a month later, I'll respond, I can't. I'm really super busy right now. Work, blah, blah, blah. And I'll feel bad because <laughs> yeah. I've become that guy. And then Harley's in there. Harley from Travel Oddities. He's in with the group and stuff. And Harley's even bugged me. There's been a few times where you couldn't make it onto the show or wherever. Harley's like, hey, if you need a co-host, get in touch with me. And I, I just I've become the asshole that doesn't respond to anybody. And it's not because I don't want to. I'm just what so do you busy. mean you've become? Yeah. Well, usually I try to be. That's one of the things that I pride ourselves on in the show is that we're so we're so interactive with people. We're very obtainable people like we've got all these that's people. Because that have, we do it for you, the people. Yeah, you ain't doing <laughs> shit for me. But <laughs> <laughs> like we've had all these people join up on the Facebook page recently. More and more people are finding the Project Archivist Facebook page. There was somebody that just joined it. Since I'm going on in a rambling, disjointed conversation, a bunch of people that just joined it. Well, there's a few of them. Some of them haven't answered. The only reason we have a questionnaire: if you join our Facebook page, if you find it and you join it, feel free join the group. A lot of people just join it to watch the constant barrage of weird, bizarre news stories and the crazy banter that goes on between a lot of us and the listeners. But we have these three questions that are on there. They're very simple. One of them is, "How do you make tomato soup?" What is the uh, podcast that this page supports and there's some other one they're all very simple questions and they're just to make sure that spammers don't get into the page or spammers or bots or what have you and um, some people don't answer them you know so but I'll do it okay this person obviously isn't a bot we'll take a risk and let this guy in and then we had one guy named Andy that joined and he said something about uh, making it out of a, a yak he made tomato make tomato <laughs> soup out of a yak or something like that I don't remember what it was some people We'll answer the questions in very clever and funny and humorous ways. And sometimes I'll just go, you're in. <laughs> I don't even know who you are or whatever, but you've made an end of the page. I would like to have, in an ideal world, if somebody wanted to join our Facebook page, they would have to walk into a small room 
that would be all painted black. A door would close behind them, and the lights would go out, and the like strobe lights would come on, and then midgets would fall from the ceiling and start beating you up, <laughs> while Welcome to the Jungle from you know Guns and Roses blared overhead, and you would have to survive that for two minutes. And if you could, then the door would open, and you would be allowed to be on the Facebook page. But wow. things really don't work that way, so that's mm-hmm. kind of an idea that's not going to go anywhere. So, getting back to what, what I was originally talking about. Um, yeah, I don't know how many shows are going to be left for the uh, for the rest of the year for Archivist. So, this may be the last one outside of the humorous and funny Strange Story Christmas show that's coming up. And then, usually, me and you will take most of January off. We'll hook back up, like, around the third week of January, the end of January, before we start recording again. Mm-hmm. So, you know, expect a little bit of a break. More than likely, I'll probably toss some old episodes up. Soraya managed to find episode zero for us, which was lost <clears throat> to the sands of time. He had that one in the episode. I think episode zero and episode four and five were missing. We couldn't download them or they were just gone. Um, and somehow Soraya managed to find them. So I may even throw episode zero up, which was the very first thing that me and you ever recorded together. And, and throw that one up at the feed, too, after the first of the year, just to fill some space and people can hear it. Um, and boy, does it sound bad. <laughs> <laughs> we sound horrible. It was like, and it's time for a musical break again. So we would do like a story, play part of a song, do a story, play part of a song. We had no clue what the hell we were doing. I was still recording off of a really crappy Shure microphone. I think you still had a headset microphone. I did. I had a four No, wait. No, I didn't have a headset microphone. I had an old school uh, diaphragm microphone. I got it at a tag sale. Yeah, that's what it was too, and it sounds like it because I remember. Yeah, sure. Who was it? Who said it? Ben Grundy? Ben said Grundy I sounded from Mysterious like Universe shit. said we sounded like dog shit. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the very show that we were imitating, our biggest heroes at the time, the people that we were like, hey, they're not doing this anymore. Maybe we should do a podcast now. The people that we almost completely identified with and tried to copy uh, said, you guys sound like shit. Yeah, we're by like, the way, you sound like dog shit. We're sorry. <laughs> that Thanks was, for the, that was our only interaction ever with Benjamin Grundy, our only yeah. direct interaction. <clears throat> so, but yeah, I might post that up there for shits and giggles so people can hear how, you know, new listeners wow. that have come along can hear how far we've come because those old episodes aren't up there anymore. Um, so yeah, I'll probably throw it out there just, just for the hell of it, just to, just to be funny and say, you know, whatever. So, uh, outside of that, um, this year sucked for me and a few other people. We've had a lot of people that have gone through some trials and tribulations that listen to the show and we've had some losses this year. And quite frankly, I'm ready to, to tell this uh, year to get the hell out of here and hit it. Don't let the door hit it in the ass and move yeah, on right. to next year. So, um, that'll be it, I guess for us, except for when you hear us at the, uh, during the holiday special. And I think that's pretty much all I got to say for the year. Thanks for being here. Thanks for supporting us. And we'll see you guys again. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I don't. Code Red is good after 10 years of not drinking it. Oh, I love Code Red. I do. Dude, I didn't even know it was cherry flavored. I thought it was some bullshit Mountain Dew. It's hard because, like, I don't drink. I drink diet stuff. And the the Diet Code Red's hard to find because I'm fat. Mm. I'm large. I don't want to get diabetes. I don't want to be like Wilford Brimley. Dude, you're going to get it no matter what. Thanks. 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 Embrace it. Dude, I have diabetes all throughout my family. Yeah, but you're not. If I get it, dig a hole. You are like one Lobo. I am like three Lobos. Dude, what are you talking about? Dude, I'm 5'8 on a good day, and I tipped the scale Yeah, you've seen me. Remember we went out to dinner, and I made the joke that my stomach is so big it has its own gravitational field? 
Yeah, Remember you're that? like a head taller than me. And you, I so had a brand whatever, new dude. shirt. I had a brand new shirt on, and I said, "I'm dude, gonna yes, get something re- on I, this shirt." Yes. And I got yes, butter I on. Recall it. how large you were. Yes. Thanks. You still that makes me feel better. Tiny but... compared to my little brother. He was almost four spins on that. <laughs> four spins. Dude, he was 365 pounds. Uh, okay, we're done, folks. We'll <laughs> see you guys at Christmas time. Happy holidays. See you again real soon. Peace. Happy turnip day. <laughs> I don't know.